Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Just a massive thank you before we start to whatever you are listening to this. Just a word of warning, we do this podcast three times a week, but we're not always sure which day it's going to be on. So the only way to keep your finger on the pulse and listen to the latest episode is to subscribe, get notifications. Why not drop us a review while you're there? Right, enough of that. Let's talk some rugby. I'm Ben James, I'm joined by Matt Southcombe and Simon Thomas. We've got a pretty jam-packed podcast in store. we got got uh, Corey Hill, Justin Tipperick and John Mulvihill all coming up. But first, let's talk to you two for a bit. Um, it's, it's the festive derbies. Yeah, no, it's Ho, good. ho, ho. It's good, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, like I, said, I think Corey Hill said this week, it's one of the first things you look out for on the calendar, isn't it? And... Um, you know, the, the games come thick and fast and, you know, everybody enjoys themselves in between. So, yeah, it's a great time of year. And, you know, just generally speaking, I know we'll probably come on to it in a bit more detail. I think, you know, I, I struggle to think of, uh, t- you know, in recent memory, a time when the games were also so evenly matched and difficult yeah. to call. Because we've seen a few people on Twitter earlier this week saying that it felt quiet for a... A festive derby, but that's no longer the case, is it? Well, it's not. If we, like I said, we come on to speak about Marvel now, and he's uh, finally someone has uh, has uh, gone for it, thrown the gloves off. That's what we like. It was sensational stuff, as Andy would say. It really was. Honestly, it, it was quite funny because um, it's the press conference was held today, and it's not just for the um, Ospreys game, but also for Boxing Day. Because obviously, you know, there's people are away next week, that, so they've done like a double header. So they put quite a few players up. So um, we had uh, Jared Evans was up, uh, James Ratty the second row, Lloyd Williams was there, uh, Bubba Scott Andrews. They had a good old collection of people there, and uh, John Melville had been sat at the back. Uh, wait, and he clearly had been uh, formulating his thoughts because when he came and sat down with us, myself, Nick Wegg from the BBC, and Alex Bywater, he was—he uh, didn't disappoint. Uh, it was uh, a tour de force, just like the old days. How to properly sell a derby? Because he really went for it, left, right, and centre. Couldn't stop him. Uh, I don't know where to start. Really, I mean. Uh, yeah, quite strong uh, allegations, suggestions that the the Ospreys view the Blues as uh, soft touches, not tough up front. Do you want to pl- run the tape? I was going to say the, the the best way to start is well, by hearing exactly. the man speak himself. You go for that. I just think any time um, that an opposition wants to help us with our advertising drive and we're always out for new sponsors so you know if they want to bring some money out of of their coffers down there obviously they've got plenty so if they want to spend on advertising to um to help us um build our program here you know we're all for that oh no i thought i thought it was for them promoting the derbies our home derbies against the dragons and the scarlet so for them to help us uh, keep driving our game in the in the capital region on a smaller budget if they want to keep spending it's going to be fantastic they can do that Yeah, as you say, very strong stuff. That's what we love to hear, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, quite a bit of it was tongue-in-cheek. You know, um, he talked about the, the billboards that have been put up outside the Arms Park. We've obviously done pieces on that before. They had the image of uh, Gareth Anscombe, you know, Australian and proud, I think it said, you know. And it was quite funny because, you know, outside the Arms Park, an advert for the Ospreys. Um, 
But Melville was quite uh, quite funny on that, saying how uh, if the Ospreys uh, want to spend money on their coffers and help the Blues financial programme, that's great, keep on doing it, you know. And, but anyway, there was a lot of little side swipes, you know, as, as well as this whole thing about the suggestion that the Blues are, are viewed by, I guess, the Ospreys as being, you know, soft city slickers. That, that was the phrase I used to him. And he said, yeah, that's the way it is, you know. People think we're going to be soft and just roll over. So, you know, he's, he's clearly kind of winding up his boys, getting them going. For it, but there was also the serious point there where he, he kept on referring to the budgetary contrast between the Ospreys and the Blues. At one point, he even said the Blues were the, the smallest budget in the league, which I think some of the people in South Africa might take a little bit of an issue with. Mm. And uh, obviously, the the, Os- the Dragons' pure playing budget is, is less, there, are, there, there is extra money gone in to cover sort of some of the aspects of the Dragons. But oh, it's it's uh, it's wound everything up a treat, and uh, as he himself said, the gloves are off. They're going to be uh, firing into each other, and he can't wait. And uh, well, I can't wait now, really. It's uh, hey, we talk about bland press conferences. Anyway, this certainly wasn't bland, and I think it's really good that they've kind of taken up the mantle of what the Ospreys did in selling Welsh rugby, and it certainly sold it. And um, it's bottom line is we've got regional rugby. A lot of people reading about it. So that's yeah. got to be good, isn't it? Yeah. Just hope that the players back. Back it up on the pitch now, don't you? I think it'll be fiery. I think it will be fiery. To be honest, I mean, because it wasn't just the fact that you know these these kind of jibes, which they view the Ospreys are the way they view them, but they haven't won a league match at the Liberty Stadium for fourteen years. Um, obviously, Melville's already been involved in the one, um, but he made the point. You know, it was very low key last year in terms of the bit of an empty stadium because it's a big place the Liberty and it just felt things were low key in the dressing room and that the Blues just didn't do themselves justice, didn't turn up and that there's going to be a real edge to it this weekend so um, they, they clearly are going there with a lot of scores and a lot of wrongs to right. That was my favourite one from Malvale actually where he um, alluded to the uh, the fact that uh, the Blues are expecting to have two sellout crowds at the Arms Park and you know he's almost more than more than happy to help the Ospreys try and get a good crowd down at the Liberty. I thought that was a nice sort of sting in the tail from Malvers. But you've got, got to remember that the Ospreys started all this um, with that billboard and then the tweet from that involved Bradley Davis that followed it and you know the various bit of banters and and so on and so forth has followed on Twitter, although yeah. some of it hasn't quite hit the right mark in the in recent days. But you know, like I said, <laughs> I, I'm I'm all for I'm all for the the regions and the Ospreys and the Blues getting after each other. And like Simon said, you know, it, it certainly wasn't a bland press conference, which sometimes these can become. And you know, we look at the statistics on our website, having just published this piece, and you know, there's this interest in this game now, and it's you know, it's only for the good of Good of Welsh rugby, isn't it? Yeah, that's good. I mean, um, if purely on the crowds. I mean, I was down there today, and they were talking about the the Dragons game on Boxing Day. Um, they've actually sought an application from the council uh, to uh, make another, I think, five hundred or so um, tickets available. There's, there's certain work you can do on the far terrace yeah. in terms of stewarding and making it available. So, that, such is the demand. They've done that, and they are looking at two sellers. Now, obviously, you're talking at a ground that's probably got a capacity of about eleven and a half towards twelve at the moment. Liberty is 22, 20, you know, it, it is a bit more easy to, easier to sell out the Arms Park for a derby. But, and people will, you know, say, oh, it, it, you know, we always have people turn out at Christmas and, you know, they don't come the rest of the year. But I'll tell you what, we'd be doing enough of a story if the Arms Park was half full, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really good. And the Scarlet's game the, uh, then just after New Year. And I think going back to what you said at the start, it's spot on. 
I mean, I think one of the big factors that has helped is the rise of the Dragons because, you know, and I know it's all relative and they've won five games out of 11, which isn't sensational, but compared to what you were used to from the Dragons in recent years, and they've been playing some good stuff. And, you know, Scarlets in previous years would have gone down, the Ospreys would have gone to Rodney Parade. And, you know, generally in these derby matches, the Dragons, you know, would be seen as very much the poor relations. Well, they're going into this this series of matches now. I was there with Dean Ryan and, and Corey Hill this week, and they're right up for it so yeah they're really hard games to go the one probably that you'd say you'd expect to be one you could judge is I would say Scarlet's at home to the Ospreys on Boxing Day given the respective forms of the two yeah. sides this season but you never know on the Derby Day what do they say about the form book I think it disappears out the window it doesn't, doesn't it no. especially down west um, speaking of the Dragons there uh coming to the end of the year and it's probably a year that Corey Hill will want to forget having been ruled out for virtually 10 months of it um, he spoke this week about uh, his year from hell and uh, we'll have a listen to what he said where were you was there a particular moment where it was like the conversation I said it's not going to happen you need to go home where were you when that happened yeah it was I think it was the day of the Georgia game we tried to do a game replacement type session I mean who Bennett um, who Bennett the conditioner um, he, was, he was doing a one on one session with me and it was basically my game replacement to try and get back fit for the Australia game because obviously Adam at the time was down as well and we were lacking numbers in second row so I think Wainwright scrummed in the second row leading up to the Georgia game so yeah it was, it was obviously frustrating for the squad as well because it was the stress on the squad and only having a 31 man squad and then me being injured anyway to losing Adam then to you know it was just a knock on effect so, so yeah I'd done, I done a session on the Monday and that guy just went downhill pretty fast you know you're trying you're trying to get through certain blocks I think we put about five or six different blocks there and after the second one it was, it was pretty obvious then that my time was up you know oh, uh, we, had, we had the um, I think part of the physios watching through the through the gym window oh, no. and Ben he was just like it was, it was one of those awkward situations you know he didn't want to call it off I didn't want to call it off and it was just like enough's enough yeah, and, and that was it okay yeah, some interesting quotes there so you were speaking to him yeah. about this um yeah, as years go, um, I think the Queen said in 1992, Annas Horribus. It was Annas Horribus. Um, it was funny, the one thing that Corey said, we were just chatting afterwards, and he said, like, it actually doesn't feel like 10 months out, he said, because he was busy for so much of it, if you see what I mean. Because you think about it, you were out there, Martin, in Fleischen, Switzerland. He did all that training camp, then he had all the work with the physicians. So, like, it was not 10 months out, you were laid up in your house with your leg in plaster. He was, like, spent... Because if you think about it, he injured his ankle initially in the game against England in February, scoring that try on the way to the Grand Slam. Got back from that and um, clarified completely something which wasn't that clear, which is that the second injury was a completely different injury. Higher up the leg, a stress fracture of... Get my bones right. Is it the fibula or the tibia? One of the two. (laughs) Not very medical me. Um, But it was completely different. And, you know, he'd got over the initial injury and then it was interesting, we were talking about it, the phraseology he used there, explaining how the injury occurred, and he said maybe the loads he was put under, I mean, clearly there was a heavy workload and you were at that camp and they were working hard? Yeah, they were working hard. I mean, you know, the WIU would stress it, uh, you know, there's people monitoring these things and, you know, it's very scientific and everything's well thought out. Um, you know, you need to seek some clarity from Corey Hill on that because it was a very, you know, it was, it seems a very innocent comment, but, you know, 
you know, if there are question marks over the load of his training and how that was managed, um, then you know that's that's an interesting one to to keep an eye on. Um, you know, as for Corey Hill, they they clearly did everything they could to get him in a position to play um, in Japan. Uh, they, you know, they ain't many players that you would have thought Gatland would have taken such a risk, not a risk on, but, you know, giving him so much time, literally, you know, taking him knowing he was injured, knowing they still had to do a lot of work on it, you know. And I, I was really interested in the piece that you did with him, side, you know, especially the way he talks about, you know, they were doing a fitness test. And with Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Bennett. Bennett and yeah, Prav yeah. Mathema was watching through the window. <laughs> and you can you can just, it, it's a really sort of provocative piece. And you, you can imagine and picture it in your mind how it all played out. And you can just imagine them all looking at each other uh, just knowing that it was it was a step too far for him, and you know, like I said, it gave him as much time as they could um, before calling out Bradley Davis. But you know, I, I guess he was always up against it. And it's funny because you go from the high of of scoring that try, helping Wales to not only a win over England in that fashion, but winning the Grand Slam, and then obviously the the ultimate sort of passes you by. But you know, I think he's what twenty seven, so. You know, hopefully he'll have another World Cup. Yeah, I, I sort of said to him, you know, um, what's been the bit you've missed most? And like in a very, he's quite a pragmatic kind of level-headed guy. And he said, playing. You just miss playing. He said, you don't miss the sort of the cold, wet, windy Tuesday contact sessions at Ustrad Munich. You miss being out on that field. And he, he did say that, um, you know, his girlfriend was uh, very patient putting up with a Corey Hill who hasn't been able to play rugby for as long as, as, he, as he has. And, um, yeah, I think that uh, it's been tough for him. He admitted it's been tough. It's been frustrating. Um, but he's pragmatic and he kind of views and realises that rugby part and parcel of the game these days is injuries he's had the injury and it was just great to see him back out there in that game against Worcester you know nice welcome back with a bloke smashing into him and getting red carded and I think it was just a waller from, from Worcester um, intriguing as well that he played on the blind side flank you know I think Dean Ryan spoke about that um when I talked to him this week, he said it gives them another option if they want to go big in their pack. You know, certain games, maybe against the Worcesters of this world, do you want to do that on heavy grounds? And it'd be interesting, given the weather forecast we've got for this weekend, where he'll pack down because they've got so many options in the back row now. If you look, Tane Basham is over his um, suspension. Ross Moriarty is back in the mix, which is great to see after the illness that he had. So they've got back rowers coming out of their, you know, their years and. Um, and that's that along with others is a really intriguing selection for me there we go from one back row to another um, Justin Tipperick his future's up in the air a little shall we say um, been linked with some big clubs in France uh, he was asked about it this week about his future this is what he had to say Yeah, obviously it's, I don't know, obviously I hear rumours and stuff, I'm not really into the social media side of it, it's probably a good thing really, but um, I have people coming up to me and telling me I'm signing for all sorts of clubs and uh, it's kind of a bit crazy really, but to, to be rumoured with such high clubs is obviously a bit of an honour, but um, yeah, it hasn't been the decision made yet and um, yeah, it's, at the minute I'm just happy being back and being back with the family for being away for such a long time and yeah, decision probably been made in a few weeks or so. Yeah. 
So yeah, he played it played it quite straight. Nice, nice flat bat. <laughs> not not one to give too much away. Is Justin? <laughs> he could fair. open for England, couldn't he, with that flat bat of his? <laughs> to, to be fair, um, but yeah, you know, we, we've all seen you know the the reports a while back that uh, Bristol were coming in with a 500k a year offer for him. Uh, you know that those were rumours that his management uh, denied. Um, but you know the the crux of it is he's he's clearly you know a guy like him coming to the end of his contract is going to be in demand and um, you know he would be free to leave Wales you know he has over sixty caps yeah. it wouldn't be to the detriment of his international career so you know it really is interesting to see what he decides to do um, you know I was, interestingly I was saying to the guys in the office. Um, when, when I came back from the Ospreys earlier in the week, you know, if it was a footballer making these comments, then we'd be jumping up and down about it. The whole, you know, oh, it's, it's an honour for to be linked with these yeah. clubs. You know, it, that in, if this was football, that would be the ultimate come and get me plea. You know, flut, the old fluttering of the eyelashes. Exactly, um, yeah. I, which, you know, to be honest, I, I don't think that's the case with, with what he said. Uh, um, and my sort of, my gut is that he will be inclined to stay. Um but uh, yeah, it was just interesting, you know. It, it certainly wasn't wasn't committal. No. Um, but he, he didn't really offer much much else, to be honest. I think, what do you think he'll do? I think he'll stay. Um, I think he's I think he's comfortable where he is. Um, uh, it's just a case of whether or not the Ospreys can put together a, a package that that suits him or that's enough for him, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's to an extent, it's out of their hands, of course, in terms of what they can offer him. It's all very much des- decided by the, the banding system, the top 38 players, their wages are decided by a panel. He'll be one of those. Um, there's clear um, demarcations about what international players can have, what Lions international players can have. So uh, in the same way as Ross Moriarty, we just touched upon Ross is out of contract yeah. as well at the end of this um, this season. It's slightly different for him because he was brought in at quite a high wage by the Dragons when they were looking really to sort of make an impact after the takeover. Um, so these players have got a certain amount that under the WRU rules they can be offered by their region. And then in both of the cases, they've got decisions to make. Now, slightly different cases because Tips can keep on playing for Wales regardless. <laughs> Moriarty, some way short of the 60 cap rule, if he moves outside of Wales to an English club, we hear there's lots of suitors there as well, he's a different situation, he can't play and that's obviously a big consideration because you might have a situation where you get offered maybe 150 grand more in England or in France, very possible, Montpellier, I think maybe looking for a number 8 now, other big French clubs as well, you know uh, if, if you if you look at it Pickamolds, I think is finished now, his knee is gone by the sounds of it, so they might want a big number eight there are other teams in England would but he's going to have a if he does that obviously he doesn't get his international fees so you could argue that if someone who's on say £300,000 in Wales could accrue another £150,000 in match fees which takes you up to what you have but of course then you're only one injury away from not having any Wales match fees so it's a big big decision for for a lot of players really and um, in the way in the same way as Moriarty was a test case of the 60 cap rule coming back to Wales He's now a test case in it in terms of will it keep him here or will it not be enough to keep him from going to England? Yeah, um, with Tipperick, I think it comes down to do do you want to play in the World Cup in four years' time, really? Um, you know, if you stay in Wales, your load's going to be managed far more carefully. Your games are, going, are not going to be, you know, coming as thick and fast as they might be in England because, you know, as we've seen with Alan Wynne-Jones, I know he's carrying a groin injury, but, you know, I've no doubt, well, even with Tipperick himself, you know, having all this time off after the World Cup. Um, you know, you go to England, it's a more attritional league in many ways, um, and you don't get looked after the same way. You know, we saw Dan Bigger going straight back in for Northampton um, as soon as he could. 
you know, and if Tipperick stays in Wales, I think he can genuinely get to the um, the next World Cup. But if he leaves Wales, I don't think he will. So, you know, there's there's a lot there's a lot of factors that go into it. And let's face it, it's not a bad bad position to be in because no. you know he's going to have offers coming in from left, right, and centre, and he can probably take the pick of the best if he wants it. I suppose that's all Tipperick's point of view from the Ospreys' point of view. It's massive they keep him, isn't it? Because I think there was a stat put out on Twitter, I think it was by Russ Petty this week, which sort of, is it, without Tipperick, the Ospreys have won like two out of 14 games with him. It's it's, it's close, it's like 14 out of 15. And obviously the caveat there is that when Tipperick plays, you tend to have an Alan Wynne-Jones playing a George North. But you look at all the other regions their back row cupboards are like stocked the Scarlets are stacked the Dragons are stacked the Blues are stacked the Ospreys are the one region that don't really have a great amount of back row talent and Justin Tipperick is just like head and shoulders above so it just sort of shows you the importance that they, they, they place on him Mm. That's why I can see someone like Moriarty being a target for the Ospreys. Yeah. Because if you look at their situation, young Morgan Morris, who you met this week, Matt, you know, mm. he's coming through and doing a good job, but they've had a lot of injury issues. They need to strengthen that area probably in the back row. But I mean, Tips is right. You're right. I mean, he, he's so fundamental. He's just a class act. He's, you know, genuine world class player. We, we picked our top 50 players in the world recently, and he, he's in the top 25 of that top 20, I think. Great player. Um, interesting this weekend um, he'll be back for the Ospreys against the Blues but I don't think we're going to see the aforementioned Alan Wynne-Jones and George North so that's going to put you know a strain on a depleted Ospreys team yeah. um, they they face a you know a tough uh, programme with the absentees and, and so they'll be having Tipperick back is, is a real kind of you know, we talk about Alan Jones being inspirational. Tips is as well. So um, yeah, it's good to see him black playing rugby. You know, for the region because he's just just good to watch him play. He's just such a talented footballer. Staying on Tipperick, um, start of this week uh, saw the announcement of Rob Howley's suspension from rugby. Um, he'll, be, he'll be back in uh, nine months' time, June twenty twenty. Uh, as someone who's played a lot under him, Justin Tipperick uh, gave his view on that whole situation. Yeah, it's, it's obviously tough talking about uh, Rob. Obviously, yeah, like you say, been was it nine years together um, him as a coach, and it's uh, it's a tough one really. But I think um, he's a good guy and stuff. But at the end of the day, the them rules are there for a, for a reason and. Um, I think you know, he, he, knowing Rob, he'll, he'll accept that and, and he'll bounce back and he, he'll find a, a job somewhere at whatever club it is, really, and he'll um, make sure he does it. Tipperick's uh, view, view of it um, do, do we think this is the sort of the last of it we'll hear for now uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. I mean you know as you said Tipperick played under him for nine years um, so you know obviously something that's quite close to home for for, for Tipperick and interesting you know that one of the first things he, he was quick to do was to you know express his uh, sympathies for Howley's family you know and it, you know people who've probably been lost in this whole saga um, but yeah in terms of of the whole thing in general I guess it's probably the last unless somebody somewhere digs out exactly what sort who was 
who was you know because yeah. we know for a fact Howley bet on specific Wales players yeah. on two occasions I guess the only thing that can come out now is is who those players were um, because to be fair the, the report that was released by the Judicial Committee was, was pretty thorough the only thing probably new would be is if Howley himself does a big interview. Exactly. You might choose to do yeah. it with a national newspaper or something like that. I don't know. You may just decide that, you know, just move away from it all now, out of the limelight, out of the spotlight rather, and um, just get this period over with and then re- rebuild after that because the finality of it is good in terms of it. I think it was well handled by the union and by the judicial committee. It was full and detailed, and I think we can put it behind us now, and hopefully he can put it behind us and his family and move on to uh, the next chapter of his life. Absolutely, and I guess if this is the last of it for now, what's your final assessment of of the saga as a whole? Sad. Sad, and you feel for him. We we talked with Andy in the week, didn't we, when we discussed this, and as Andy said, you know, it's um, he's obviously had an issue there. Um, people have issues. People are human. They're fra- you know they're fragile. They make mistakes. He's made a mistake. He's paid a big price for it. And your thoughts are now with him, in hoping that he can sort of put this behind him and go on to enjoy the rest of his life. You know because um, everyone makes mistakes, don't they? Yeah, my, similarly, mine was, has always been a mixture of shock and sadness. Really, you know, being quite conflicted throughout the whole thing. You know, yes, it was. Uh, I tried to express a degree of sympathy in the way that we reported on it but at the same time you know these rules are in place for a reason as uh, as has been alluded to this week by other sort of commentators on the subject and um, you know he did wrong um, but like like we said you know in the report it's clear that yeah. you know all is not well there and um, that's where the sort of sympathy comes into it yeah that's why I made the point, point earlier in the week you know it's clear that there's no doubt that he did wrong but it's about getting him the help he needs now rather than sort of shunning him, ostracising him. Yeah, I don't think he'll be shunned or ostracised. Um, I think it's just for him deciding, you know, how much of a part of his future life he still wants rugby to be. Because obviously this, you know, this sort of left, you know, some scars, won't it? you know, and it's difficult. But his CV and his you know, his application to the work of rugby coaching is, is enormous. He, you know, he gives everything to it and he, he would have um, something to contribute on the coaching front in the future. And I hope he can put this behind him and come back and still enjoy being part of rugby. Staying on coaching matters, um, we're still waiting on Bradmore and the Scarlets. Um, I think the latest understanding today is that uh, a decision still sort of pending, being made. Um, but Ian Foster, the new All Blacks coach, is very confident of getting him. They've named all their other support coaches and say that one's due to be done imminently. So it's a case of what should the Scarlets do next? Because you know all the signs are pointing that Bradmore's on his on his way out. It's when rather than if. No, I think yep. isn't it. Very much so. You know, well, the Scar- if you ask me what the Scarlet should do, they should try and get as much money as they possibly can. Um, you know, the guy's, what, six months into a three-year deal. Um, they should be seeking significant compensation um, and as much as they possibly can. Um, but, you know, we're halfway through a season. Typically, this is a very bad time um, to be changing coaches. You really want to be doing it in the summer. Yeah. Um, so I, my my impression, well, my opinion would be that you, you know, it's going to have to be a joint job between the guys who are there uh, for the remainder of the season, try and hold it together um, and um, make it with a view to making a proper appointment uh, in the summer. Because I don't think, um, you know, are there who's available? Are there people out there? 
you're not you're not going to get a you're not going to get the, the man you want exactly. at this time of year, right? Anyone you get now is going to be is not going to stop be, gap. Yeah, they, they are fortunate. They have got a very experienced guy there in Glenn Delaney, who's you know experienced in, the, in New Zealand, coached London Irish in the past. Whenever I hear him speak, he comes across as a very level-headed, you know, astute rugby man. Um, think the, the structure's in place there, and you know they, they've got a good squad. Um, they're in well, they're in a good position. It's just this classic thing, isn't it? What's the best to do? You think back, Danny Wilson leaving, keep him on for a year. They won the European Challenge Cup. Um, Pivak leaving, keep him on. It didn't work out so well last year, the Scarlet's obviously injuries. We've had Vern Cotter in Scotland, the same thing. So there's no hard and fast rule what the right thing to do is. Um, the All Blacks don't play a game until they actually play against Wales in July. But when would Foster really want to have his group together working behind the scenes? So there's all these things to consider. If I was Nigel Short and John Daniels, I'd be writing one thing into the deal. I'd be saying, right, whatever this compensation deal, we want you, the All Blacks, to come play a match at Parker Scarlet against stuff for your next time over here, midweek. That'd be better than any money, I think, though. Well, that'd be fantastic. And I'd write that into it right now. It's a very interesting suggestion. It's only a couple of years till the um, the anniversary, isn't it? Well, exactly. There we go. They love a chance to well, mention you know, that. Yeah, Mark Waters does anniversaries of the 23 years, so you know, you don't need to be any special day, do you? Well, you're never more than 365 days away from an anniversary. Um, exactly. But yeah, I mean, for the Scarlets, it's a blow because he's made such an impact there um, and they're playing some nice rugby. So who would they go for next season? That's the interesting thing. If they decide they want to bring somebody else in... It's a really hard one because, you know, top coaches, again, they might well look to New Zealand again, you know. People talk about Scott Robertson. He hasn't got the All Blacks job. Would he, you know, would he be available to do it? So you just do what they did last time. You look who's available, you make them the choice. And what they have clearly shown willingness to do is if it costs money to bring someone in, they spend that money and they, they're well-placed yeah. financially to do so. Well, you look at it as well. You've got Glenn Delaney there who will know New Zealand rugby very well. You know, Richard Whiffin as well has got links with the, with the English um, Premiership. Um, and so, you know, they, they've got feelers in the right areas, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and they're probably well-placed to, to have a good sound understanding of what coaching talent is available in different parts of the world. And it's not it's not inconceivable that they might decide to stick with Delaney full time. Say, if I you was, look at it, what happened last time when Pivak came in as an assistant to Simon Easterby, Easterby he went, up. Pivak stepped up and it didn't go too badly. Yeah. I was literally about to make that very point. There we go. But <laughs> you got in ahead of me. Um Sorry. so let's finish then uh, looking ahead to the, the first weekend um, of the festive derbies. Out of the four teams, the four regions, who is under the most pressure to get a win this weekend? It's the Ospreys, isn't it? Clearly. <laughs> well, yeah, well, for me it is anyway. And But I, th- I don't think they're particularly well-placed to do it. You know, what have they won? Something like one out of 11 games this season? So exactly one out of 11. And the, other, the problem is that if they lose on Saturday, they then have to travel to the Scarlets and then travel to Rejuvenated Dragons. So it's a difficult, it, in, in a way, it's quite nice to be in a yeah. situation where you go away first out of the three yeah, because it's yeah. a shot to nothing, and isn't Robbie it? Gray's always been a tough one for them as well. So, well, they lost it last year. I mean, if, if you're looking at it, probably the, the best chance they might have at winning, given they haven't been on the losing side in a league match at home to the Blues for 14 years, then the Blues... 
I don't think the Blues have had a better chance in those 40 no, years. No, they write up for this one because they think this is the chance to right the wrongs of all those years. So, yeah, I think the pressure is on the Ospreys, especially when you look at all those absences because they are still in a very depleted state. I will say I did enjoy the way they played against uh, Racing last weekend. Yeah. Um, it was a crazy old game because um, they ended up scoring four tries. The last four tries in the games, they ended up scoring five tries in Paris against Racing. Not many people do that. They'd already conceded a fair few themselves <laughs> and Racing did make a few changes. But even in the first half, I liked the way the Ospreys were playing and how much of that is down to the influence of Mike Ruddy. He's really been there a couple of weeks, but there was a willingness to play and uh, they actually looked particularly good when Luke Price came on outside half. It didn't quite go the way of Marty McKenzie. Two errors gave away two tries, but there was an enterprise and an ambition about the way they played, which I haven't seen for a while. So, uh, mm. But of course, there's a wet weather forecast for Saturday, oh. so it could be back to the big lumpers anyway. Well, if it, if it is Mike Ruddock's impact, it's only his presence because Matt Sherratt is adamant that he's not doing any coaching here at the moment. Um, Ruddock has said that consistently as well, so perhaps by his very presence... Well, maybe the other having... side of it is possibly Matt Sherrod, who was very much an attack-minded attack coach. Now he's perhaps having more influence there. Yeah, possibly, I, know, yeah. I mean, there was a potential that Clark and Sherrod did not see eye-to-eye eye uh, on uh, their vision for the attack. I was with uh, Jared Evans today, and he said the best coach he's worked with um, was Matt Sherrod. You know, just uh, everybody you speak to at the Blues who worked with him, it's full of praise for his, for his uh, ideas and for his expertise and is how, you know, the ideas he comes up with. And perhaps those ideas have been given a bit more freedom now. Yeah, yeah. potentially. Do you think John Mulville has perhaps piled the pressure on the Blues today though, with his comments? I don't know who he's piled the pressure on, to be honest. <laughs> he's probably piled the pressure on himself. Well, the players have got to back him up now, haven't they? Uh, well, as he said, people view us as soft and then we're going to roll over. That's not going to happen this weekend. Well, I hope for his sake that they don't. <laughs> so if it does happen this weekend, obviously it looks so great. It's going to be it? tra- well, they haven't got a press conference before the next game. They, so they, I, I walked out there, I talked talk to a lot of them down there. And yeah, they are, they are right up for it, I will say that. Should be a tasty one then. That's what you love to hear, right? Time to get your your necks on on the block. Make some predictions. All right. Um, the Blues. I think the Blues will beat the Ospreys. Um, I don't mean to say that with so much confidence. So I don't like you when I have to put my neck on the block. I think the Scarlets will beat the Dragons. Okay. I'm not sure about the Blues. <laughs> well, I need to see. I don't I'm like. I'm not sure. I watched that last week and a heavy pack, heavy pitch against Poe in the first half and the weaknesses up front came through. But I do think the fact that the Ospreys, they are very depleted. Um, The Blues are much closer, going to be much closer to their full strength team. Um, So logically, you would think Blues win. Um, I think the Dragon Scarlets could be interesting and a lot of that will hinge upon what Moore does. He did a mix and match last week uh, against Bayonne. It worked very well. And it worked well. What will he do now because this is the whole balancing act for the coaches you you know especially with the dragons but the dragons are very reliant still inevitably on their two outstanding halfbacks in Roger Williams and Sam Davis now do do they try and play all those three in all three games I don't know but I think that's going to be close but I would just edge towards an away win for the Scarlet so I just think I have a little bit too much depth and class for that for the dragons there we go um I'll make it three for the Blues and uh, Scarlets. Very confident podcast then. There we go. That's it for today. We can catch all the action from the weekend. Is that it before Christmas now or are we going to do another one? 
Oh. Should we be saying Happy Christmas to the listeners? There might be one going out before Christmas. We'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Well, if, it, uh, if, we, don't, if we don't, if we don't, Merry Christmas. Yeah, yes. yeah. We, you have to keep the eye on the new Twitter account, Benjamin. Yeah. that you've set up at Welsh Rugby Pod. Um, yeah, make sure you follow. Other Twitter us accounts on Twitter. are available. Simon Reg, that's a good one. Follow that one. <laughs> I'm not going to plug mine. I'm above all he's that. Got, he's got enough followers. He don't need to look for more. <laughs> yeah, he's um, sharing them out. <laughs> exactly. Well, there we go. That's it uh, for today's podcast. But you can catch all the action from the derbies on Wales Online.